Hi there and welcome. I'm Rabbi Nachometh with the Las Vegas Kollel. May 25th, 1978, a professor at Northwestern University gets a package in the mail on his desk. He looks at it, something's off, it looks suspicious. He calls the police and the police come down. They open up the box and it explodes and it injures the police officer. There are no clues, they can't figure out who sent this bomb in the mail. A year later, again at Northwestern University, Authorities find a cigar box that seems out of place. They look into it, they check it out, and it also explodes, causing injuries. The authorities are able to piece together that there's some kind of connection. There's some kind of association between the bombs, the materials, the things inside of these bombs. These two bombs are connected. A year later in 1979, American Airlines Flight 444, a Boeing 727 flying from Chicago to Washington, D.C. In the middle of the flight, the cabin fills up with smoke. The pilots make an emergency landing. The authorities come in, they inspect the plane, and they find in the cargo hold of the airplane was a bomb. Now, the bomb didn't go off, it malfunctioned, but the authorities said there was enough explosives inside of that bomb to completely obliterate the airplane. Again, the authorities look at the construction of the bomb, the materials, and they're able to connect it to those bombings that happened at Northwestern University. And from 1978 all the way through 1995, authorities are able to stitch together a series of 16 bombs that they are conclusive, that they are connected. 16 bombs killing three people, injuring dozens. And authorities are baffled. They can't figure out who is the bomber, what's behind him, what are his motives. They have no idea who this person is. They give him the moniker, the Unabomber, University and Airline Bomber. Other than that, they really can't figure out who is this guy, what does he want, and what's he doing, and how can we stop him? And a massive manhunt goes on across the country. In Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, the Torah tells us a really unique mitzvah, a very unusual commandment. The Torah tells us the story, the mitzvah, the ben soreru mora, the rebellious and wayward child. The Torah tells us about an adolescent who's out of control. He's in all sorts of terrible behavior. And the Torah tells us if his behavior gets really bad and he exhibits all sorts of real rebelliousness, his parents are to take him before the Beisdin, before the court, and the court goes ahead and kills him. The Talmud explains we'd rather kill him before he's gone ahead and killed others. The Talmud explains we can predict based on his behavior, this child is going to go ahead and create all sorts of mayhem and destruction. Let's kill him now before he kills others. Rabbeinu Bachai, one of the classic commentaries, points out, he says it's such an unusual mitzvah. What's the idea? What's the message behind it? We expect the parents to go ahead and bring their own child before the basin, before the court, and the court will go ahead and kill that child? How do we understand that? And Rabbeinu Bachai explains that the Torah is teaching us a lesson. The Torah is teaching us that our love for God needs to be greater for our love for our children. Rabbeinu Bachai points out we know how deep the love of a parent has to his child, how close, how much love, how they would do anything in the world to help a child. And yet, the Torah is telling us one needs to love God more than one loves a child. And if a child goes ahead and he's this Ben Sorer Umora, he has this behavior, he goes ahead and he exhibits this rebelliousness, the Torah expects the, the parents of this child to go ahead and bring the child to court and kill the child. One of my rabbis once explained, pointed out, at first glance, it's very difficult. God, child, 
you know, God expects us to make that kind of impossible choice. And it seems so cruel, so impossible to understand. And my rabbi explained, he gave a really great example to understand what Rabbeinu Bachai is explaining the Torah to be teaching us. He said, imagine the following analogy. Imagine a person has a brother, and the brother is terribly ill, sick, critically ill. And imagine you have the antidote to save your brother. You have the cure, you have the medicine, and you have that pill to save your brother. And you only have one pill, you only have one cure, one antidote. And you're about to give it to your brother and someone else comes and says, you know what, there's another person, an anonymous person, a stranger, a complete stranger who has the same disease. He also needs that antidote. He also needs that pill. Who should you give the pill to? The answer unquestionably is you should give it to your brother because he's your brother. And we have a prioritization of our love and care and concern. We need to care for our brothers, our children, our siblings, people who are closer to our inner circle. We need to care for them before we take care of common strangers. Of course, it's a big mitzvah to take care of a stranger. But when it comes to, you know, the choice of saving one's brother's life, saving one's child's life versus change saving a complete stranger, of course, the love that we should have for our siblings, the love we should have for a child, that needs to come first. And the correct answer is, you save your brother. But imagine, my rabbi explained, imagine that the situation was a little different. Imagine you find out that your brother is a serial killer, and you know and you're aware of the fact that your brother is about to go ahead and kill random, innocent other people. What should you do? Should you call the police? If you go ahead and call the police, remember, they might take your brother away and they might kill him. Is that the correct thing to do? Or do we say, no, let your brother go ahead and kill whoever he's going to kill? Because after all, didn't we just say when it came to that situation of that antidote, of the cure, that the love we have for our brother, the concept of saving our brother's life comes before saving a complete stranger? So too here, shouldn't the love for my brother tell me that I shouldn't call the police? My rabbi explained, he pointed out so brilliantly that Rabbeinu Bachai is teaching us a lesson. We talk about the love of someone that they have for their brother or for a child and how deep that is. There's something that's more important and something that should be deeper within us than the love that we have even for our own child. And that is the love of doing what is correct, of doing what's right. When it comes to the example of the antidote, of the pill, of course, our brother comes first, our child comes first, because that love that a person should have for their child, for their sibling, comes before the love for a complete stranger. But when it comes to the second example, the story of uh, the situation of a brother who's about to kill someone else, of course a person loves their brother more than they love that stranger, but it's incorrect, it's wrong. The fact that your brother is about to, God forbid, commit that crime, it's not my love for the stranger that's beating my love for my brother, rather it's the love to do what's right and correct. That should be a more powerful driver than even the love that a person has for their brother that has for their child. And that's the message that Rabbeinu Bachai is teaching us. It's not so much that God is expecting us to choose between God and child. That's not the correct way of looking at it. Rather, it's to teach us the lesson. No matter how deep and powerful that love is that we have for our children, for our siblings, for people who are so close in our lives, we have to recognize God is good. God is what's correct. And our drive and motivation to do that which is right fundamentally should be a more powerful drive than even the love that we have for our very child. In 1995, the Unabomber sends out a manifesto 
a 35,000 word article and he sends it out and he demands that a major news outlet must print it, must publish it. And if not, he's gonna continue his, his bombings, his rampage. The Attorney General was conflicted, not sure what to do. And they decided out of public safety, the Washington Post should go ahead and publish it. And indeed it was published. A few days later after the Post publishes the Unabomber's manifesto, David Kaczynski reads it and he can tell there's something very unique, very strange about the style, the syntax of the manifesto. And he puts it all together and he realizes, my goodness, this is the style, this is the syntax, this is the language of my brother Ted. And he calls the FBI. And indeed the FBI raids Ted Kaczynski's cabin up in Montana. They see in his little tiny cabin, they see the original manifesto, they see all sorts of bomb making materials. And Ted Kaczynski goes on trial and is convicted and is indeed identified as the Unabomber. Think about David Kaczynski. Did he not love his brother? Of course he did. He had a deep love for his brother, a deep connection for his brother but he had a deeper connection and a deeper motivation to do what was right. And David Kaczynski calling the FBI was the correct thing to do, even though it would mean that his brother would go to jail for the rest of his life. It's such a powerful lesson for all of us, such a powerful illustration. Of course, the love that we have for a child, the love we have for a sibling, it's so deep. But our motivation to do that which is right, that which is just, that which is correct, that needs to be more powerful even than the love that a parent has for a child.